Lord. I want you to go in your Bible to the book of Galatians in chapter number 5 is where we're going to be. Galatians chapter number 5. Uh, and then we're going to look over at Philippians chapter 4. So Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Remember last week we talked about how that God drew a contrast between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm doing it on purpose. I don't want you to think that, you know, I fell off my motorcycle this week and, you know, received a severe blow to the head. It doesn't say fruits, plural, okay? It's not what it said. These are not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. This is the fruit, singular, of the Spirit. Cut an orange open, and it's an orange. But inside, there are different segments to that orange. The fruit of the Spirit, when laid open and revealed what He wants to do with us, it's all one fruit, but it has different segments that He characteristics that He is seeking to produce in our life. The idea is simply this. We don't get to pick and choose which of these we want, okay? We don't get to pick and choose. He wants to balance us and produce in us every one of these characteristics. And sometimes, sometimes there's different ones that he's working on more than the others, and yet that's his desire and, uh, and, and what he wants to do in our hearts. And so after giving us, after giving us the, um, the works of the flesh, as we talked about last week, after that, now he goes down and says in verse number 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. Now remember that the first three are inward. The second three are outward the third three are upward, and that's what he's trying to do within our hearts and in our lives. Now, go with me to Philippians chapter 4. Let's go over to the book of Philippians in chapter number 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, chapter number 4. And um, we're going to look at verse number 4. All right, now I want you to stay with me as we read down through this and catch what God is saying to us. Verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, help us. Give us, dear God, what we have need of today. Speak to our hearts. And, and Lord, I just pray that, that the work that you do in us today, dear God, would be just so thorough that you would work deeply and uh, help us to get to the place where we need to be in regards to the characteristic of peace in our lives. And we'll thank you for what you do. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. In January of 1918, with the world embroiled in what was known at that time as the Great War, Woodrow Wilson outlined 14 points that he presented to world leaders in hopes of forming a basis of... Uh, peace at the conclusion uh, of the war that he erroneously felt like would be the last world war. That was the idea. This is going to be it. There'll never be another one of these. I've got 14 points I'm going to present that will keep this from ever happening again. His hope was that by an agreement to disarmament that the world leaders uh, would end the arms race and by creating an international association of nations that disputes among the nations would be settled by peaceful means rather than by going to war. One of the things that Woodrow Wilson did not take into account was the fact that men are of a sinful nature and they're not looking for the easy way. 
they're, they're going to do it their way. His 14 points were rejected by the Allied nations, and so Wilson decided to abandon those points and uh, champion what was called at that time the League of Nations. Okay, I'm going to, if I can't get my 14 points across, we'll just form a sort of a fraternity. We're going to call it the League of Nations, and that is, by the way, the forerunner of the United Nations. America, America rejected that. Okay, you remember Mr. Lodge and others rejected that League of Nations, and so um, Wilson was despondent, defeated, and actually was defeated in 1920 for the nomination of his own party. And so it went down in utter defeat. Now later, of course, we know what happened. There is a United Nations that is, uh, in many degrees, the most un-American institution in the world today, and yet they get free space in, in New York City. I think that's ridiculous. I remember as a child riding down through South Georgia and nailed to the, to the uh, uh, pine trees along the highway, there would be signs every so often that said, get out of the United Nations. I remember as a kid reading those signs and wondering what all that was about. Well, as I've got a little older and a little smarter, uh, I think it's a little bit ridiculous that we allow, uh, we allow cancer to live within us. And it's just amazing if you go back and study almost every Almost every time they're anti-Israel, anti-America, and they're constantly thumbing their nose in our face on our own turf and our own soil. That doesn't sound like the sovereignty of, of our nation. But in anyhow, in September of 1938, okay, after meeting with Hitler uh, during the uh, Munich Agreement, which basically gave Hitler everything that Hitler wanted, Neville Chamberlain came back and declared with clenched fist that we would have peace in our time. He was Britain's prime minister. He was absolutely wrong and has gone down in the annals of history as one of the most mistaken and gullible men that ever lived. Absolutely, teetotally wrong. There was not peace in our time. And in fact, it just bought time for Hitler to roll up Europe like a cheap piece of carpet in his blitzkrieg, and, and many, many people died because the response was not what it should be. Now, in my lifetime, I mean, since I was a kid, leaders have been going to Camp David, and they, they've been hammering out peace accords, and they've, you know, those of you old enough, you remember Menachem Begin and, and Anwar Sadat and, and, and Jimmy Carter and all of the peace accords that were made to bring peace between Israel and those Arab nations that surround her. And, and our presidents have traveled the world in a quest for peace and hoping to somehow bring peace to the world, but those paths have literally led to nowhere. And we are, in our day and age, uh, in, in just as bad a shape as we have ever been. Jeremiah 8 says that they will cry, Peace! peace when there is no peace. And I want to remind you that there will come a time when the Prince of Peace comes and sets up his throne and will rule the nations, the Bible says, with a rod of iron, and there will be peace then. And there won't be, there won't be tribunals that his laws will pass by. There won't be committees that he has to seek approval from. There won't be votes in the halls of Congress or the parliament, Jesus Christ, the creator of the world, will rule supreme. Now the sad thing to me is that not only does the world find peace unattainable, but so oftentimes in the life of so many of God's children, that characteristic is, is absent. And, and we are perhaps characterized far more by turbulence and drama, and we become caught up in the emotions of our day, and, and, and people are, like I said last week, people are running around, even with prophetic things, like Chicken Little, who an acorn hit him in the head, and they're screaming, the, we're at the end of times, this is unprecedented, nothing's ever happened like this, we're seeing, well sure you are, read your Bible, it's okay, 
Don't get nervous. Prophecy should not, prophecy should not scare us. It, 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 it should not alarm us. Prophecy ought to comfort us. Because what prophecy does is it shows us that our God is in control. He's never lost the handle on anything. Look, get out of your bunker. It's okay. Everything's all right. The Lord Jesus is coming back for us, and He's promised that He has. And our text is talking about, remember this, in, in Philippians chapter 4, the peace that passes all understanding. That ought to soak in. It passes all understanding. It is a peace that cannot be described. It is a peace that cannot be framed. It's a peace that, that, that cannot be uh, formulated on a whiteboard. It's a peace that, that is beyond our understanding. How in the world can we face what we face and yet still have peace? How do we get there? How can you and I live a life that is, that is full of peace in a world that is void of peace? How can we get along and get around with people that are frayed and frazzled by the events of the world and are constantly, constantly high-wired about what's going on in the world around them and yet have that calm assurance that our God is absolutely in control and, and the peace that is beyond description is ours. Now, I want you to look at this. Go with me to, go with me to the book of Philippians chapter 4. I want you to watch this, okay? Everybody with me. Philippians chapter 4. I want you to look, so in, there's, there's some introductory stuff in verses 1, 2, 3. He's talking about Clement and Euodius and some of the schisms they had in the church, which is partially the reason why he's dealing with what he deals with in chapter 4, okay? Now, he talks about rejoicing in verse number uh, 4. In, in verse number 5, moderation. Verse number 6, he's talking about being careful for nothing. We'll talk about that. And then notice in verse number 7, <clears throat> what's the first word? And. Now let me help you with the word and, okay? It, it's a conjunction. What and does is it connects what's following with everything that precedes, okay? So what's following is the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Well, how do you get to that? Well, the and turns us and points us at the verses preceding it and says if we will follow this path, it will link us to, it will arrive us at the place to where we can have the possibility of peace that cannot be comprehended. So for me to understand how I get to the peace that passes all understanding, I've got to backtrack now. I've got to turn around and I've got to climb back up through verse number uh, of 6 and verse number 5 and verse number 4 and get to the beginning of the meat of this passage so that I can learn how I can arrive at that type of peace. So first of all, first of all, how do we get to the place where the Spirit of God can produce within us His fruit, and that fruit be peace? And wait a minute, not just, not just temporary peace that you wake up with every so often on Saturday morning or Monday morning. No, no, I'm talking about how can you have peace that can't be fully comprehended? First of all, we must have a right spirit. Now this is important because to a great degree, the kind of spirit you have is dependent upon you. And so we're talking about being good ground, okay? And in order to be good ground, God says this, for the Holy Spirit of God to produce within us His fruit, and for part of that fruit, the characteristic is peace, there's some things that you and I, I have to do. Remember, remember, I talked with you before about um, the division of labor. Okay? What is the, the division of labor? It is that I cannot do what God can do, and God will not do what I can do. All right, let me say that again. I cannot do what God can do. The other side of that is God will not do what I can do. So there's some things I can't do because I'm not God. There's some things that God won't do because, because God has given me that responsibility. And so as we read this, we, we run into one of our responsibilities to prepare ourselves 
to arrive at the place where we have peace that passes all understanding. Look at it, verse number 4. Rejoice in the Lord when? Okay, always, all right? Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, he's making emphasis, I say rejoice. Now, let me tell you what the word rejoice means. You ready for this? The word rejoice means to rejoice. Okay? It means to rejoice. Right? That's our responsibility. What, what that does, when, when you read the word always, it, it simply means that it's not a one and done act. Okay? So I just wake up one day and say, you know what? I, I'm going to have joy. And so, boom, all of a sudden, for the rest of my life, I'm happy. No, I'm going to face some challenges. Look at me. There's going to be challenges to your joy, challenges to my joy. So how do you rejoice always? You, you make up your mind... You make up your mind that, that it's not a one-and-done deal and that what we have to do is always be in the process of rejoying. Okay? i got to rejoy. You fill your vehicle up with gas nowadays, uh, it'll take you two house payments. Okay? When that's over with and you take off driving and that needle is pegged all the way over on the F, and you're feeling really good, and you drive around a little bit, if you've got a nice V8 in your truck or whatever, it's not going to take long. Guess what's going to happen? The needle's going to move, okay? And as that needle begins to move, what's it getting closer to? It's getting closer to the E. And the closer it gets to the E, if your vehicle's like mine, there's a little light that goes bing, okay? It dings, and it lets you know it's time to fuel up. Now, Dixie's car doesn't have that. We were on vacation one year, and I'm riding along. We're just having a great time and talk, talking, and there was no bing. And so all of a sudden, it starts chugging and, and choking, and we wind up on the side of the road. We wind up on the side of the road um, because her car uh, is too cheap to have a, a bell that lets you know what you should know anyhow. And so... Uh, it's letting you know that it's time for you to listen. It's time for you to refuel. Now look at me. Listen to me. Inside of you, there's a bing. Inside of you, the Holy Spirit of God will let you know it's time for you to refuel. No, no. It's time for you to rejoice. Why do you think he tells you to be faithful to the house of God? Because he knows about how long we can go. And, and so he established that time. And, and we have Bible studies. And, if, and you say, well, the Bible don't say anything about Wednesday night. No, you know, it says something about Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and Sunday. Okay? So we're going to get super technical about it. We ought to be in the Word of God every day of our life. Why? Because every day we ought to rejoice. And as I read the Word, it, it allows me to stay in the state of of rejoying my life. When you get up in the morning, you should rejoice. Before you face the day, before you see the world, when things get tough, you rejoice. When you find yourself getting weary, you rejoice. When somebody betrays you, you rejoice. When somebody slanders you, you rejoice. When you're hurting, you rejoice. When you've been wounded, you rejoice. When you don't think you can go on, you rejoice. When you see events around you that, 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 um, uh, that disturb you, you rejoice. When you turn on Fox News and everything's bad and everything's looking worse, and when it seems like the whole world is caving in and the end times are raging down the pike like a tidal wave, what do you do? You just rejoice. You just rejoice. Look at me. It is time, I said it last week, it is time that the people of God get a revival of joy in their life. And, and my question to you is, would you feel the way you feel if you had no access to the sites you go to, and if your internet was turned off, and all you could do was read your Bible, would you be where you are today? In your heart and in your spirit? No, you wouldn't. I talked with a young man not long ago who had taken a different turn in his doctrine. And I said, let me ask you a question. If you didn't have any books to read written by guys that believe that, and if you, didn't, if you didn't have an internet to chase down everybody else that believes that, if you hadn't read your blogs, and, and if you hadn't been influenced, can I ask you a question? If you just read your Bible, would you arrive 
at the position you're now saying that you hold? And the blank stare back said, no, no. And so there's a, there's a problem. I, look, I'm not saying that you find joy in your circumstances, you know. I'm not saying you find joy in your pain. I, I, I know that in spite of what's happening in our life sometimes, sometimes it's in spite of the storm, okay? Sometimes it's in spite of the storm in our life. We find joy in our relationship with the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. It doesn't mean that your joy is not going to be challenged. Now stay with me. I know we talked about joy last week. But that's the opening, that's the opening um, kickoff in the passage that we've read, okay, is to rejoice, to rejoy ourselves, to go back and get joyed up again, to go back and get filled with joy. I, I, I'm just saying that our, our, our joy may be challenged. It doesn't mean that because we're saved, we somehow become bulletproof, and we're never discouraged, and we're never down. And we never struggle with, with, with the, the joy gauge running toward E. I'm just simply saying that, that it is important that our spirit um, determine whether, whether we can handle it or it handles us. Joy. The need for joy. Psalm 30 verse 5, Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. Sometimes we have to endure the night to find the joy. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been through something that was so dark that somewhere, you know what you did? You just grabbed hold and held on to God because the night had set in and you found no joy in the night. But the Bible says, hold on, that song drawn from that verse, hold on my child, joy comes in the morning. What does that mean? The night will pass. The storm will end. The light will shine. The sky will clear in your life. It's going to be all right if you just don't quit on God and run from your circumstances. Hang in there because joy comes in the morning. Let me give you a couple of verses just real quick and we'll go to my next point. Proverbs chapter 15 verse 13. A merry heart maketh a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. So it is important. Our spirit is important. Proverbs 17, verse 22. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. They can give you whatever they want to give you, but if your spirit's broke, you're not going to do very well. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit who can bear? The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, no matter what's happened to you. No matter what your infirmity is, if your spirit is right, it will sustain you through that battle. But a wounded spirit, once, you, once your spirit gets wounded, who can bear that? I want to tell you, a man who has a wounded spirit is well nigh gone. He's well nigh gone. I've seen it in so many ministries throughout my life. Number two, not only must we have a right Spirit, but number two, we must have right relationships. Now, notice verse number five. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Now, what is moderation? Okay, before we understand this verse, we've got to define what moderation is. Moderation is the balance of our desires, our passions, our appetites, our emotions. Our impulses. You know what it means? It means that we don't fly off the handle when we are provoked. It means that we don't um, that we don't hold grudges after we've been wronged. It means that we do not allow anger and bitterness to control us. Let your moderation. Listen. Let the balance of your emotions be known to all men. Have you ever have you ever met, ever met somebody? that was noted for their anger. I remember meeting a guy years ago, he's probably one of the saddest men that I've ever had the privilege of pastoring. And he said to me, he said, I want to tell you something, preacher. He said, I never forget a wrong. When somebody crosses me, I never forget a wrong. And it was like he was pulling back his coat and showing me a badge that he had won. 
He was so proud of the fact. And I thought to myself, that's the saddest thing that I, I think I've ever heard. Because the reality of the matter is, he, he's telling me I'm diseased, I'm toxic, and I'm proud of it. When the Bible says, no, 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 no. No, you ought to not be noted. You ought to not be noted for uh, uncontrolled desires and temperaments and passions. You ought not be noted for that. You ought to be noted for your balance. Let me, let me give you a verse. Listen to this verse of Scripture. Proverbs 25, verse 28. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Well, that means nothing maybe to you today. Where are the walls of Cuna? There are none. But back in this day, back in this day, uh, every city was a kingdom within itself. It had its own money, its own, its own uh, king, its own ruler, its own lord, and the feudal systems. And, and so they would build walls around. And people that lived outside, when marauding armies would come, they would flee within the walls and they would close the walls. And it was within those walls that they found safe, safety and protection uh, from harm's way. Well, the Scripture says a man that has no rule over his own spirit, he's like a city that's walls are broken down. Well, what does that mean? It, it, means, it means that anything can get in. Listen to me. When, when, when you have no rule over your emotions and your spirit, you know what you are? You are vulnerable and susceptible to all sorts of other things. If you're a person that's angry... I want to tell you, you need help. If you're given to anger, if you're given to anger, what happens is with that anger, when that anger comes in, sin never travels alone, okay? It never travels alone. It comes in bands. And anger will introduce you to something else. And it's oftentimes when somebody is having a particular problem with a particular sin, there are other sins that are involved with it. You know why? Be because one sin leads to another sin. It's contagious. Okay? So, so a man that has no control over his spirit is like a city that is broken down, listen carefully to me, and without walls. Okay? You have nothing protecting you because you have no, you have no boundaries. There are no... Um, there are no borders to keep that out, all right? Now, let me say this. Look at me. This is important. I'm going to move down, but listen carefully. Sometimes we've all been guilty of creating our own problems. That's aimed at you, okay? And it's aimed at me. <laughs> Not one of us here that at some time or another hasn't been through some drama or some problem that was of our own creation. And, and it robs us of our inner peace, but we're guilty of that, okay? We can, we're pointing at everybody we can and just throwing people under the bus left and right, but the person who's the real cause of our drama is us. We got involved in something that wasn't our business, or we... We, we stirred something up. You know, it's like the guy in the, in the book of Proverbs that grabs the dog by the ears, okay? Go out somewhere and find the pit bull, a mean one. I'm talking junkyard mean. You know what that is? Okay. There was one in, our, uh, in, in a city where I lived named Pete. Pete was the, the owner was always like, he's a nice dog. That dude was not nice at all. He'd rip your legs off. We had a, we had a, we had a, a park we picked up kids at and would bring them to church. And uh, they had pit bulls on chains that they used for, for fighting. Uh, that was all busted by the police at one time or another. But they had dog fights in this particular part of, of, of uh, the woods. And so we'd go out and pick the kids up, and there'd be pit bulls trying to get at you, you know. And so just walk up to one of those and grab both ears. They just grab both ears. Now, you got a problem. Here's the problem. How do you let go? Which, yeah, which hand are you going to let go? Because the other one's fixing to be missing, okay? You, you, you know, you, you, you never forget that. And so, so that's what it's talking about. We, we sometimes grab a hold of stuff that's not ours, and we got a handful of trouble, and we're talking about the drama that that pit bull is, is, is causing us. No, no, leave his ears alone. Stay away from those types of things. Now, let me say this quickly. 
First of all, if we're, gonna, if we're going to let our moderation be known, we've got to learn how to forgive. In fact, if you'll study the word moderation, it carries with it the idea of being able to let it go, to forgive. Forgiveness is encapsulated in that word, moderation. For me to be a moderate person, I've got to learn how to walk away from some things that, that I might not want to walk away from. I've got to learn how to let some things go. If I'm going to be, like, if I'm going to be balanced, there's some things that used to upset me that better not upset me now or I lose my balance. So I, I have to learn to forgive. I've got to bury it. I, I can't resurrect it. I, I have to uh, refuse to carry my past pain into the present. I've got to leave it. Listen, leave it in yesterday. You know why most people are upset today? It's not something that somebody did to them today. It's somebody something did to them last week or last month, or last year, or last decade. I talk with people, and they're overwhelmed with bitterness. And, and why do you feel the way you feel? Well, way back yonder, way back yonder, something happened in my life. Well, move on from that. Who is your God? Listen, strike the tent. Put out the campfire. Load the utensils. Get out of there. Don't camp there any longer. It's not healthy. Something else we have to do is we have to learn how to be kind. Because if I'm going to forgive people, what does that mean? That means I've got to find some kindness in my heart. Be ye kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. So if I'm going to be forgiving, I of necessity must learn how to be kind to people, wait a minute, that may not deserve my forgiveness. So what do we do when they curse us. We bless them. We forgive them. What about people that use us? We pray for them. Well, that's, that ain't no fun. No, but it's Bible, and Jesus said it. So rather than me returning to them unkindness for their unkindness to me, I've got to learn how to be kind to people that in reality don't really deserve it. How many of you have ever been wronged by somebody? Could I see your hand? Well, most here, and then three liars. Um, no, we all have, okay? So there's somebody in this world that probably doesn't deserve your kindness. Now look at me. Here's what the Scripture said. If you're kind to those that are kind to you, what thank have ye? You think God's standing down and say, well, I'll be. They did this for him, and look what he did back to them. There ain't nothing in that. I mean, it's good. But, but the test of our kindness is whether we can respond that way to people that really don't deserve our kindness. Number three, I'll say this. We just got to have a, 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 an open heart. So what does that mean? It just means love people. Hey, look at me. Listen, just love people. It's easy to love somebody that walks in and you think you're going to be blessed by them, okay? It's easy in a church to welcome doctors and lawyers and businessmen, and they are absolutely welcome. But on the other end of the spectrum, it may be a kid that walks in here that, that, that has nothing to contribute. You know why we've given up a lot of our ministries today? Because they don't, they don't they don't work things out in the end. In, 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 the, in the final analysis, they make no contribution to our church. When we preach over at the homeless shelter, they don't give a dime to us. All the gas, all the effort, all the everything that goes into that, it, it's, none of it is ever reimbursed. When we take up, when we take up gifts during the winter to, to, to clothe the homeless, and we send out shoes and coats and we go down there and we we give these things out to these people do you know nobody's ever walked up and said here's ten dollars we don't get a dime back from that ministry we're not in that ministry we're not in that ministry for a dime okay the reality of the matter is is simply that we've got to have an open heart we can't put up walls listen look listen if you're going to love if you're going to love you have to volunteer to be vulnerable why? Because you're loving sinners. 
People will hurt you. People will make promises to you that, that they will not fulfill, you know. And they're not going to come through. They're going to say one thing and do something else, you know. I feel sad for people that's got a little black book, you know. Got a little black book. I remember a pastor getting up when I was real young, and he made this statement to a fellowship meeting I was at. I was just, I was just out of college. I was 20 years old, and I was in a fellowship meeting, and the pastor got up, and this is what he said. He said, I don't know about you guys, but I pastor a bunch of crud balls. That's exactly his words. I remember sitting there thinking, wow, how in the world can you feel that way? How could you make a statement like that? Well, you know what happened not too long after that? He's, he's not in the ministry. And he's not serving God. And he's not where he should be. You know why? Because he closed his heart off. Somebody did him wrong. And he got to the place to where he felt like that, that he needed to shut himself off. I want to I just tell you, look at, look at this. Look at what it says there. Let your moderation, verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. What's the next? The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Now, this is what we think when we read that. Jesus is coming back. Yeah. But this was a statement in the early church that was frequently made. And this is what it reminded them of. He's here. Let me tell you something. Look at me. It's not, look, hey, listen. It's not just that Jesus is coming back. It's Jesus is here. Now, he's not here in flesh and blood right now. But Jesus is here. Whatever you say, the Lord's at hand. Whatever you think, the Lord's at hand. Wherever you go, the Lord's at hand. Whatever your attitude is, the Lord's at hand. I want to tell you something. Listen to me. You mark this down. The, the Bible says simply this, that we ought to let our moderation be balanced in our relationship with people, there ought to be a balance in the children of God. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. He's everywhere we go. He hears everything we say. He's a part of everything we do. The Lord's at hand. There's no road so far, no night so dark, no moment so secret that that statement is not true. He knows every single bit of it he's hearing and he's watching now number three look with me in verse six all right so now what are we doing what are we doing all right everybody with me in verse number seven we've run into a peace that passes all understanding we're living in an unpeaceful disturbed world full of drama and turmoil okay and we're trying to get from where we are to there. How do, I, how do I get that kind of peace in my life? Because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. So if He wants to produce peace in my life, I've got to find out how I can be receptive to that peace. And He says, first thing I want you to know is you've got to rejoy. Get up and get over it. Build a bridge, cross the bridge. Quit whining, quit worrying, quit ruminating over all the things that people have wronged you with. That's your first step. Even when things are seriously real in your life, okay, when, they're, when you really got a bad problem in your life, even then it's as real as, as, as the sun in the sky is real, but you have to learn in the middle of that problem somehow to rejoice yourself. Or your problem kills you. Then you've got you to let your moderation be known. You've got to bring balance. You, 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 you can't allow your emotions to run wild. You can't become defined by your impulses. Okay. There's got to be balance in our life. Look at me. God doesn't want His children swinging from one emotion to the other. One emotion to the other. Now, there are times we're going to do that, right? Am I right? Yeah. You're going to swing, okay, from one emotion to the other. I had some forefathers that swung from a rope, but anyhow, they shouldn't have moonshined. But anyhow, so, so there's a swing in that. So, so the reality of the matter is, listen, 
the reality of the matter, we're, we're going to feel that. But what God is saying, no, 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 let's bring balance. So, so he's letting us know what his desire is. Then he says here, then he says here in, in verse number 6, Be careful for nothing, okay? But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now what does the word careful mean? Now we're talking about peace, okay? Everybody with me? We're talking about peace. How do we get to peace? It passes all understanding. The word careful there means anxious. It's that type of carefulness, hesitancy, caution. Okay? We're, we're overwhelmed so much that we can't hardly move forward for God. And, and this is, listen to me, this is what we're hesitant about. Can I trust God to deal with this? You ever been there? Boy, I have. <laughs> there have been nights I've carried things to bed with me and wrestled with them until the wee hours of the morning when I only fell to sleep out of exhaustion. Pastor, why did you do that? Because I couldn't trust God with it. Now, if you were to ask me, Pastor, do you trust God? Yes, I do. Do you think God can handle this? Yes, I do. That's not the question. The question is, will I let God have it? Okay. I got a problem. I got a problem. Pastor, will you give this to God? Do you think God can handle that? Yeah. Sure I do. Do you believe God can do that? Yes, I do. But when it comes time to handing it to Him, I'm, I'm, I'm fighting. I'm tugging. Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. I'm not casting it. I'm holding on to it. Now, I've done that. I'm just being honest with you. I've laid awake at night, tossing and turning, unable to sleep. And you can say anything you want to say, but I'm just being transparent. The reason that happened in my life is because I wasn't ready at that moment to let go and let God. Okay? So, we're to be careful for nothing. We ought not be hesitant to trust God with our problems. It doesn't mean that we're immune of problems or that we're immune of concerns, but rather we ought not allow them to paralyze our faith, to stop us in our tracks. Now, notice the words. Be careful for what? Wow, that, that was overwhelming. Let's, let's run that by one more time. Look with me, if you will, in verse number 6. Be careful for what? Nothing. Nothing. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty big word. Okay? That means nothing. Okay? Write that out beside that word. Nothing means nothing. Okay? Nothing means nothing. What's the definition of nothing? Nothing. What's the definition of nothing? Let me give you it this way. This will help you. Draw a circle and erase the circle. Then you've got nothing. <clears throat> so the Bible said it doesn't matter how big, small, in between, doesn't matter what the shape or size is. Doesn't matter how deep it is. The Bible says, do not, do not embrace your trouble so deeply that you become overwhelmed with concern and, and you become anxious. The Bible says, don't do that for anything, for nothing. We're to be careful for nothing. And then, and then but in, what's the next two words? But in everything. Okay, wow. So I got nothing. All right, here's, look, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Here's the, here's the worry side. Here's the anxious side. What should be listed over here? Nothing. So I draw a sign out right up here. Things that I'm anxious about. What's underneath that column? Zip. Nothing. Nada. No. Au revoir. Nothing is here. Okay? Nothing is here. All right? Let's go over to this side. What am I to pray for? Everything. Dude, just put it down. Bam. Whatever you, whatever you, got, what you got going, pray for it. I remember Bill Rice years ago made a comment in front of a meeting he was preaching, and he said, would you pray for my horse? I forget the name of the horse. But would you pray for my horse? Afterwards, a lady walked up to him, and she said, Brother Rice, I don't, I don't mean to be pretentious, but you're telling me you pray for your horse? And he said this to her. He said, ma'am, I wouldn't own anything 
that I wasn't willing to pray for. Pray for it. I've been driving my car before when it started making some crazy noises back in the day, you know, down some long Georgia highway where there's a stretch of nothingness for forever and you're riding down and the car is talking to you and you don't understand the language and I have just said, dear God, please, I don't know what it's saying to me, but help me get to where I'm going. Pray for a, pray for a vehicle, okay? So in that column, the anxious column, there's nothing. In this column, listen to me, here's the beauty of it. In this column, everything fits here, whatever it is. Casting all your care. If, if, it's, look, look, if it's big enough for you to care about, if it's big enough for you to care about, it's big enough for God to care about. Sometimes my grandkids will come to me and say, Papa, will you? And it's not a big deal. It's something really small. But because it means something to them, it means something to me. And those are the things in my life that I, that I enjoy and, and I cleave to. I'm just, I'm just saying, uh, in, in everything, in everything, every single thing by prayer and supplication with fast give, thanksgiving, let your request be known unto God. Now, now, let me say this. Look at me. So, preacher, that means and we're not to worry about anything. So I got a text from, from, from Tim, and Tim said, Pastor, I was in, I was in uh, Indiana. He said, look, I know, you're, I know you're in Indianapolis, but I just wanted to send you a text. Dad had a heart attack today. So I texted back to Tim, no big sweat, big deal. Why did you send me this text? Tell your dad it's nothing. No. What kind of an idiot pastor would do that? Okay. <laughs> I may be an idiot, but it's another area. So I, no, no. I mean, so preacher, I'm having surgery in two days. That's... Pastor, I'm facing cancer. <laughs> really? That's not a big deal. No, it is. It is. No, now look at me. It is a big deal. So what happens is, listen, in this anxious column, there's probably nobody in this room who doesn't have something listed here. Right? Wow. Wow. Two honest people. Look at me. This column is to be nothing. But we do have stuff here. So what's the goal? To get transferred from here over to there. For our faith to grow to where I take this problem, this surgery, this whatever, and I move it over to here. Okay. And you know, sometimes that comes through pain. There were things I used to be concerned about over here that I was anxious about. But when God sent me through my cancer surgery, there were a number of different things that transferred from here to there. I don't, I don't worry about it. People that go to the dentist, they don't like that. They get a lot of anxious things over here. You know what? I have none, basically. That doesn't mean I don't have, uh, that I won't. But I'm just saying I don't have, I, I've been through so many, when I broke my teeth off, I spent so much time in the dentist chair, a lot of times I just ask him to leave the room and I do the work myself. It's just like I've just been there. So it doesn't bother me, okay? Needles don't bother me. Getting shots doesn't bother me. Because through experience, there's been things transferred. Now, I have other things in this column. I have other things in this column. Look at me. That have caused me pause in my life. But with God being my help, He moves from here to here, and it becomes replaced by peace in that area, you see. It's very important. You know what you are? Look at me. You know what you are? You know what I am? We're clay. But we are His clay. We're His clay. And so He's molding us and, and He's making us. Be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So first of all, first of all, Here's what we're to do. In everything by what? Prayer. 
So we, we, we got to pray about it. Prayer is asking God, is communicating with God. Look at me. Hey, you got a problem? You got something that's in this column? Pray about it so that God can help transfer from your anxious uh, 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 list over to your uh, uh, trusting list, okay? Number two, supplication. What does that mean? It means specific request. So don't, don't bring to God some generic thing, Okay? God bless all the missionaries in all the world and all the things that they're doing with all the people in all the places and all the tribes. No, why don't you find somebody and pray for them specifically? Pray specifically. You got somebody with cancer? Don't look, look at me. Look at me. You got somebody with cancer and you love them? Don't pray, Heavenly Father, you know, do whatever. No. No. Jesus went to the man and said, what do you want? The man said, I want to be healed. He said, that's it. He allows us the privilege of praying specifically. But some people are afraid to pray specifically. Pray specifically. And if God doesn't give you exactly what you're asking, then, then you, 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 you accept what God's done, but we have the joy of praying specifically. That's what supplication means, okay? We're to come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy uh, and find grace in the time of need. Third thing, it says, with thanksgiving, okay? Now, here's what happens. Listen to me. Here's what happens. Look, look at me. People, look, unthankful people do not, they're not peaceful. Okay? Unthankful people are not peaceful people. Why? Because they're all caught up in the storm that rages around them. Peter started walking on the water. You know what? He's looking at Jesus. Things were good. What happened when he took his eyes off Jesus and started staring at the storm? What happened? He ceased being thankful that he was walking on water. Suddenly he became focused not on the Lord but on the storm and he began to sink. So when we lose our, when we lose our thankfulness, um, we're, that's the next step to, to going down. There's just, listen, there's just a peace and a contentment with being thankful. You're thankful for your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your church. For one another, there's a peace that comes with simply being aware of how you're blessed and what you should be thankful for. Last of all, and I close with this, and that is that you and I must embrace God's gift of peace. Look in verse 7. And the peace of who? <laughs> okay. The peace of God, okay? And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding. Colossians 3, 5. Ready for this? Listen to this first. Let it sink in. Here's Colossians 3, 5, 3, 15. Let and let and let, you ought to circle that word in your heart, and let, Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, and he says to them, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. So God doesn't force his peace on people. No. Paul writes to the Colossian church and he says, wait a minute, wait, hey, ho, ho, stop, 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 let. You, no, that's your job. God's not going to shove it down your throat. God's not going to shove it down your throat. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the also which ye are called in one body and be ye thankful. Isn't it amazing that in that verse, Peace and thankfulness are, 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 are hooked together by that conjunction and. You can't be peaceful unless you are thankful. All right? But he says to us, hey, listen to me. Let God do that. He wants to produce his fruit in you. Part of that fruit is peace. Let go. Let him. Let it grow within you. And that's the purpose of it. It's the purpose of it. It's the peace of God. That's our source. And it keeps our hearts and minds. Notice that word keep. Look at the verse. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep. You know what that word keep means? It means a sentry that stands at the door and forbids entrance to things that are harmful. Okay? So if you're in a storm now, you know what peace will do? It'll stand at the door of who you are and it won't let the storm on the inside. Look at me. We can deal with storms that are outward. It's when the storm gets in that we got trouble. Okay? 
It's when it blows the windows out. It's, it's, it's when storms get in us. When I've got a storm raging within me, that's when I got trouble. So peace is the sentry that stands at the door and keeps that from happening. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. It's the presence, it's the presence of our God. Remember, remember the verse we covered last week in, in, in um, John chapter 15? These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. And we talked about the glass and how that the glass can be shaken and emptied and, and even but just by evaporation it loses. But if you take the glass and stick it down uh, in Lucky Peak in the reservoir, that the glass isn't going to run dry. Okay? Well, look, look, at, look at this verse. Go with, me to, go, to, go with me to John 14. Everybody turn there. John chapter 14. Last verse of Scripture. John chapter 14. So he says this. Here's the joy that I want you to have. I want you to have my joy. Because if you have my joy in you, your joy will stay full. Isn't that what he said? All right, now look in John chapter 14. Verse 27, peace I leave with you. Wow, watch this next statement. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. Why? Because the world's peace is temporary. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be what? Afraid. Look at me. Perfect love casteth out fear. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The world's peace may falter, but his peace will never run out. So here, here's peace. Here's peace. You know what we need? Jesus said, I'm going to leave something for you. It's my peace. You can have it if you want it. So we can walk around with our cup and say, well, I'm peaceful today. Well, what about tomorrow? Or what happened to you last week? Well, I'm peaceful. Wait a minute. When we get overwhelmed by things, we ought to go to the reservoir and claim his peace where we never, ever run out. 1555, Nicholas Ridley, if you know his story, was burned at the stake because of his witness for Christ. On the night before his execution, his brother who loved him deeply came to him and said to him, um, I'm, I'm going to stay with you tonight. I'm going to be with you here in the prison so that I can assist you and be of comfort to you on your last night. Ridley looked at his brother and said to him, I appreciate your effort. I appreciate your concern. But I intend to sleep as peacefully tonight as I ever did in all of my life. That's a stunning thought. Nicholas Ridley slept. The next day they led him out of prison, strapped him to the pole, piled the, 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 the uh, sticks and things up around him, set them on fire, and with a smile on his face and a song in his heart, before the crowd that had gathered there, he was burnt to death for his faith. But what did he have? Not his peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding. There are things right now that you think you could not survive, but with His peace you can. We're just clay, but we're His clay, and He can get us through anything. Let's bow our heads. I don't, I don't know what your trouble is, what your struggle is, what your heartache is, I don't, know what's, I don't know what's making you anxious. But I know he's able. And you know what? I found him able time and time and time and time and time and time again in my life. But you know what? There's still times I get anxious. I still do. 
Even when he's always answered, he's always blessed, and he's always gotten me through things that I thought unthinkable. Here I am, and I still get anxious. And most of the time, they're over smaller things, and yet they plague me. So what do I do? Father, I'm not supposed to be anxious, so would you transfer from this column to the next? I need peace in this area. I need peace with this storm. I need peace with this problem. God can do it. He can do it for you and for me. Your problems are yours alone. Nobody can feel quite what you feel or experience the dynamics that you are experiencing, but your God knows. Everything that Everything that's in front of you, God knows. You're not alone. Your footprints aren't the only footprints on a path of sadness and pain. There are others that have trod that same path. But God, but God, but God can give you peace that you can't even imagine today. If you'll just let the peace of God rule. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for your love and your mercy. Help us, dear God, in every situation to trust you. We're weak. We're susceptible. We're perplexed. We fret. We're anxious. We worry. Dear God, help us, I pray, to allow you, to let you produce that fruit in our life where we might be peaceful people on the inside and then peacemakers on the outside. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.